Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's up, guys? Before we get into today's podcast, I just wanted to say a couple things really quick here before we... uh, Uh, we jump into it um so the first part of this podcast is going to be me and jeff we recorded this monday morning obviously all of the news with oklahoma and texas and all that stuff had already been coming out none of it had become official like it did uh this morning on tuesday uh but we you know really dove deep into that and what that means for iowa state and give you know just some opinions on what it means for the football program especially Uh, and so on down the line Uh, and then after we get done with that it's about 59 minutes we're going to take a break uh, and then it'll come back it's a super long edition of the podcast but I had this audio file of me and Jay Jordan talking Iowa State football we recorded it a week ago uh, on Wednesday obviously uh, Wednesday afternoon uh, some pretty massive news broke about Texas and Oklahoma kind of threw the podcast uh basically to the wayside it you know it for a while there it didn't really seem relevant uh but we talked a lot about football and all that kind of stuff and uh so that's almost a week old but it's just it, it was kind of evergreen in the sense of leading up to the season of some of our thoughts on the football program so I'm going to throw that on there. Uh, it doesn't. It didn't really feel relevant to give it its own uh, podcast uh, on the feed. But uh, if you want to stick around and listen to what basically is going to amount to a two-hour podcast, then feel feel free to do so and and get some analysis uh, from Jay Jordan after Jeff and I dive into everything on a pretty standard episode of football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. And let's jump into it. Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's uh, Monday, July 26th, 2021, and it's time for a new episode of Football and Random Things with the college football season right around the corner. Jeff and I have been planning to record this episode. Although, I mean, I think even a week ago at this time, we were kind of laying the groundwork to start uh, another season of Football and Random Things. I believe this is season five of Football and Random Things. How did we make it? How has Chris not fired us yet? Yeah, it's a pretty good question. I mean, more specifically me. Like, you contribute to Cyclone Fanatic. I just contribute to this. And Chris has still somehow been like, hey, I guess you can keep going. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, like, we have to have like tenure or something, don't we? (laughs) we can do anything we want now at this point like as if we weren't already doing whatever we want now we have tenure you can't even you you can't fire us now honestly at this point i think i just uh, we just keep recording the podcast and i i'm still allowed to get into the system and i keep posting it i I don't know that chris knows that we're continuing to record or not but we uh we are doing it and you know maybe we've gone rogue but at this point it's just we're we're kind of just here I mean, the, the season's right around the corner, so it makes sense for football and random things. So we're 
I mean, I, I think the most, the most logical place to start the episode is position breakdowns on punters, right? Like this, that's where we're starting on special teams. Cause it's a pretty unknown from last year to this year. So I don't know. It seems it, I, it's an area Iowa state can approve on like a good amount with the amount of touchbacks they didn't get. So I don't like the kickers and punters are probably where I would start. As much as I would love to just talk about Andrew Mevis and uh, Corey Dunn today, I think that we have some more pressing things to get to uh, than Iowa State's punting game. Uh, although, although I will say the talking about football right now sounds absolutely fantastic. And I actually recorded a 30 minute, well, I was more like an hour long podcast with Jay Jordan last week, uh, like at 12 o'clock on Wednesday. Uh, two hours before the Houston Chronicle reported that Texas and Oklahoma were in talks to potentially join the SEC. Uh, at that point, that podcast went out the window. It did not mean anything. <laughs> yeah, there's been, I don't know, talk about a slow news week. I mean, this is, this offseason for college athletics has been an absolute string of dynamite with one explosion after the next. And we are, I think, in the middle of the string of dynamite explosions where we have seen that there are some that have exploded and we look down the road and there's going to be more explosions. We just don't know where they are specifically. Uh, so this is a really, what a time to be alive. What a time. Yes, it is a complete reorganization of college athletics uh, going on around us as we speak. And um, I have a lot of mixed feelings about all of this. You know, the money stuff is all one thing. The not wanting Iowa State to be left out in the cold is another piece of it that is incredibly frustrating. Uh, there's a, I, I'm really, uh, I want to swear so bad, I'm really pissed at Texas. Uh, having to hitch your wagon to those freaking goofballs, man, for so long is such a, is, is, has gotten incredibly annoying. Um, it will be nice, I think, to be rid of some of the headaches that are presented by the Longhorns. Uh, but also, I'm really disappointed in Oklahoma because I think that this is really – I think that what's happening right now is not going to be good for college football uh, or at college athletics in general for these schools to go. And, you know, even if there's the reports out there that uh, the SEC has – you know, started working back channel conversations with Michigan and Ohio state and some other programs like that, turning the turning college football into basically a pseudo NFL is not going to be good for the league is or the sport. And this is a sport that has celebrated its history that touts its history and its legends as passionately as maybe any other sport on earth. I don't know. Maybe baseball is the only one that would be close to it. And yet they're going to throw these things away in the name of a few million dollars. And uh, that sucks as a college sports fan to see this all happening right now. Um, and it's really disappointing. I think from my perspective, I just, I, I don't know how to feel about it because I hate Texas. I'm, I'm really tired of Texas, but at the same time, I think that just to see the way that Oklahoma has handled this whole deal is really, really disappointing. So I think I'm on the other side of this a little bit. So I, I will, I will agree and co-sign with the F Texas sentiment, just because I think there are, 
Yeah, they, they've controlled the reins for a really long time because they do have a huge budget. Like they're, it's, it is, they make a significant amount more than almost everyone else in, in the country. Like they're the number one revenue producing football program in America. college athletics in general. I mean, they, they yeah. are by yeah. far the richest college athletics program in, in the nation. And they're throwing that. I mean, yeah, they're, they're putting that behind them. Yeah. They, they, they've got a big swinging purse. And they want they want to put it in a direction that is going to best benefit them. Uh, Oklahoma, naturally, because of the rivalry, is going to go along with that because it makes sense for them to be a part of that. Because Oklahoma, devoid of Texas, both of them lose a substantial amount. And yes, you're. I am also disappointed with Oklahoma uh, because not necessarily about what happened, but how it happened. Because if they were to like them going to the SEC and Texas going to the SEC. I, I will make a case here in a second that that actually might be the best thing for everybody around. And it sort of reminds me of a, like a, a, a relationship. And this is not necessarily just between two people because it's a group, but like using the metaphor of like a marriage where the marriage has not been good for a while. Uh, and it's good enough, but it's not been good for a while. And then all of a sudden one goes to have an affair, AKA Texas. And then the other spouse will could potentially land with a better relationship themselves on the other side of it. But the process of going about this, rather than sitting down and working out your differences, rather than trying to communicate openly about what is going on and say, here are the options of what we can do. They just went slipped off, had an affair and filed the divorce papers all without letting the other person know. And so like, it's extremely shady and Oklahoma to my mind is the 22 year old kid that knows about what's going on, but doesn't tell the other spouse about what's happening. Like they were going to go along with the process pretty much regardless, because it is better for Texas and Oklahoma to be part of that league rather than being consistently shut out of whatever conversation they were going to have. And, and whether it's devalue a conference championship from the big 12 is devalued because there's 10 teams, it's whatever it, it doesn't hold the same prestige as the sec or the ACC or the big 12 or the big 10 fine. Like I can understand the reasons behind it. But the thing what I'm disappointed with Oklahoma is that there was not more open communication on what was happening and why it was happening, because that seems easier than just we're out in the, we're out in the middle of the night. Like that's the problem. But on the other side of it in the, you know, that other spouse who was cheated on, who now goes to find a better relationship. I think the, the natural, the way forward, which I don't know how quickly this happens, but there, it seems like there's two inevitabilities about college athletics that are specifically college football. Like we can talk about college football and basketball, but really the college football is driving this like even more than college basketball, college basketball just also makes money. Um, but I think there's, there's an inevitability about college athletics, specifically college football, where, uh, the power five now soon to be power four, likely, um, uh, were always, or seemed like they were on this collision course with doing their own thing. Like ultimately that group of 50 to 70 teams, whatever the total number is, was, was probably going to go end up doing their own, uh, whether it's their own league or, and that's what the sec I think is trying to do, which make this like super league or whatever. They're ultimately, I think it, whether it's five, two, five, 10 or 15, 20 years, eventually that was going to be a thing because the disparity has gotten so large between the best and the everybody else that it makes sense to do that. And that's not just from a play standpoint, like economically, like being the worst power five team is way more financially viable than being the best outside of that team. So the difference has gotten so substantial that it was ultimately going to be that. Uh, and then the other thing is 
the name, image, and likeness stuff may, is probably going to throw the a brick on the accelerator of that because the bigger teams are going to be able to offer more and be able to do more things. And so legislation was never going to be able to keep up with or even rules or ballparking was never going to be able to keep some type of fairness balance between the major group of five teams and everybody else. So like the inevitability was this was going to push its way forward at some point. So how that, what form that takes then becomes the question. And so I think what Texas and Oklahoma see is that the big 12 was not the, was not going to necessarily be a part of a, a commanding part of that discussion where the sec and the big 10 would be commanding parts of that discussion. So they bailed for that one. Now, where I think Iowa State can end up in a good situation is if they end up, whether if the Pac-12 seems less stable than the Big Ten does, if you end up getting gobbled up by the Big Ten, which by logic, that makes the most sense, but logic is not necessarily what's being followed here. So by logic, by getting smacked in the Big Ten West, it puts you in, let's say that that is the situation. Again, this is not insider information. They're not confirming that this is the case. And then I don't even know what type of validity we can do, but just playing in the hypothetical situation that Iowa state and Kansas go to the big 10 West, the Texas schools go to the PAC 12, like the West Virginia goes to the ACC, Kansas state goes to the ACC and the big 12 essentially just splinters and kind of gets gobbled up by the rest of the conferences. You have these four major conferences, now, let's say the SEC still wants to try and poach out of those, like the Ohio State, the Michigan, whatever. The leverage that they would have is substantially counteracted by ESPN and Fox. Because if you start taking, you know, you mentioned like a mini NFL. If you start taking, let's call it 22 of the best teams, at most, even let's call it 30, like at most, you're going to have 30 total teams that you have that are going to be playing each other, quote, for the title. Now, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, they all get into this one major conference. The inventory that Fox and ESPN then would have to carry is markedly lower. And the amount of money they can then generate from that, you can only charge so much for sponsors for a sport that has a marginal following now. Because if you ostracize 65 or 70% of the country by not including them in your group, the rest of the country is not going to care. Like the NFL right now can have a small number of teams because it's all the way across the country and they've added teams and gone. So they've tried to get into markets. They've not completely cut out markets. So you then have basically Columbus, Ohio and the, their fans, you have Ann Arbor, Michigan and their fans that go around the country, Auburn, Alabama, but then the other schools aren't going to drop football. So you're going to have this other league that forms where Iowa state and Oklahoma state and uh, Iowa, cause they're likely not going to get pulled in that major magic conference or whatever. You have all these other schools that are then taking from what the, that conference would be able to generate. So it becomes just another league. It's a better one, but it's just another league. And so you don't run this. You don't have the same financial income. If you start consolidating into this little teeny tiny conference of 20 or 30 teams. Now, if again, let's taking this splinter of the big 12 into the major conferences that now you have 65 teams divided into four, basically quadrants of the United States. There's your, you know, the ACC, the SEC, big 10 and PAC 12. You've got 65 teams with a full net, full country's following who have pretty much already established their footprint as the dynamic businesses in their respective areas, regardless of where you end up. That becomes a ton of inventory for Fox and ESPN who can then sell the hell out of that. And so you can make a substantial amount more money and more money per school because you're going to be getting more of that revenue because eventually it's going to get to like, as it splinters off into more 
um, app developed or streaming options, you're going to get more and more specific with what you're going to be streaming into. So then you're not paying like ESPN is going to get money probably negotiated down the road for Iowa state to get Iowa state games or Texas to get Texas games or Alabama to get Alabama games. And so you're going to be able to get a more specific piece of the pie and it becomes a bigger swath of money to actually pull from. And you're not cutting off the rest of the country. So it sort of makes sense if Texas and Oklahoma saw that coming that they can go to the sec and be part of one of the driving factors on that and secure their spot on the bus before the bus leaves. And then hoping that the rest of the conference, the rest of the big 12, I don't even, I guess they didn't care about the rest of the conference, but assuming the rest of the conference can get in with one of those, you've got yourself a natural market across the country, which lends itself to that separate power five thing. So I think that if that happens, which makes the most money sense that that's where college athletics is going, which doesn't necessarily bode poorly for the sport. That's, I guess, my opinion on that is we don't have to continue to pretend that Tulsa and Oklahoma in the same state, we don't have to pretend that they're at the same level anymore because they're not like, they're very different. It's like Northern Iowa and Iowa. They're not the same school. So we, we separate them into different divisions. It's kind of just seems like it's going to stratify into the next group where it becomes this power five group officially separate to themselves amongst the four conferences, the next group below them, your AACs and whatever, that's going to be the group in the middle. And then your UNIs and whatever, it just seems like it's going to stratify itself out another bit with the top making a substantial amount more. The thing I don't understand about this is if that's what you're wanting to do, why go about it in this way? I mean, I, I just, I think that if that's what they're going to try and do and they're not going to try and it, it isn't like they couldn't talk about this. The yeah. leagues have, they, the leagues meet with each other and things like that when they do their, and you know, the people are all around each other when they're making decisions about the college football playoff and all that kind of stuff. Like if, why not work collaboratively to start saying, okay, we're going to start preparing for the possibility that we're going to break away from the NCAA and go and do our own thing. You know, yeah, I don't know. that, that instead that of being shady become, about it and that, yeah. and I think that if, I, I am concerned that they are going to try and do this in a way and make it all exclusive, you know, similar to what happened with the super league in Europe and all that kind of stuff. They're going to quickly find out that the cachet of college football as a whole is not as big as what they seem to think that it is. Mm -hmm. Yes. College football is a massive business, but if you eliminate the passion that people have for their own school or their own league, then a lot of that goes away. People in, if Iowa state is not playing in the same league or same, you know, stratosphere as Oklahoma and Texas, then why would Iowa state fans give a shit? Why would anybody give a shit? Why would people in Oklahoma, why would people in California care? Why would people in Oregon care? Why would anybody in, in Minnesota care? Like you're going to just eliminate a huge piece of what you do and hurt the sport in the process because you're like, well, We've got, we're going to go and get the 20 biggest. Well, okay. No, we're going to go get, you know, 10 of the biggest brands plus Vanderbilt, Kentucky, the two Mississippi schools and whoever random else that you're going to go and grab. And then you're going to say, well, this is the league that we play for the national championship. Now that's bullshit, man. And, yeah, like, and I think, but I think that's why the, the ludicrousness of that statement, I think there is going to be enough people that like, 
So this is where where the crux of this, like, let's play this hypothetical situation where the SEC is actively trying to undermine, which it's probably true. They're actively trying to pull Ohio State and Michigan and whatever. And their sales pitch, the SEC sales pitch is that we're going to bring in X number of dollars, which with a smaller piece of the pie, let's take, you know, college footballs, I don't know, make up a number, $2 billion a year they make. And there's only going to be 20 teams to split that now. So you can get a bigger piece of that pie. And if you come down to the SEC, and then Ohio State and Michigan and those other big programs can be the like are likely going to have the argument back like you're talking about, which is this only works if we have enough passion in the actual industry to do it. So what you're proposing right now doesn't make sense. So like, I think that that is likely going to be it to me. It seems like there is such a logical argument against what, like making that huge power conference of 20 or 22 teams or whatever it's going to be. That seems like it's something that wouldn't make sense financially down the road. When you start take, talking to someone who's outside of it, you know, like if you have this great money-making scheme and you go talk to your brother-in-law and your brother-in-law is like, yeah, let's do it. And then you two go talk to some stranger who actually doesn't have anything to do with either one of you. And you go, okay, I understand why you like this, but this doesn't make sense for me. So like when you start getting outside of your own little bubble, it, it seems like there is enough logic. And I think at that point where ESPN and Fox come into town, because where's the money coming from? You know, it's not coming from gate revenue because gate revenue is only so much part of it. They're coming from television contracts and streaming contracts. Who are the ones that are providing the television broadcasting, the announcers, the impartiality of it? Because I'm not going to watch Longhorn Network. I don't care. It's stupid. The only reason I watch Longhorn Network is because my team's on it every once or once a year. So if I have to watch Alabama's network and Auburn's network and Texas's network and whatever, I'm going to, I'm just not going to care. It's not relevant to me because it's biased. So the third party broadcasters are at that point going to go, Hey, whoa, timeout. You're telling me that you're going to take, we have right now, you know, 70 teams that make money when we put them on there. You're telling me that I can't take 60% of those. You're telling me I'm no longer really allowed to do this and put broadcasting on there. No, no, no. You're not doing that. If you do that, we will not carry your games and you're going to have to figure another place to do it because we're going to lose money hand over foot on this decision. So at the time, I think if you're trying to make a small power conference, like if it's again, 20 to 25, 30, even 30 teams, you, you start running into where the, the, the real source of the money, which is the broadcast revenue is going to start getting impacted because there's not enough product to actually put out there. So and, and ESPN could come back and say, okay, we're going to pay you one five, $1.5 billion to broadcast this new league or whatever, you know? Well, I think that ESPN would quickly find out, wow, we made a terrible deal. We are not making our money back. Yeah, they lose you their know? Money really quickly. Cause like you said, this is, I think Chris explained it pretty well. Uh, I listened to his podcast. He put out this the, earlier today, which is, universities and you kind of alluded to it earlier universities are not like normal fan bases it's a completely separate thing because you're generally it's an alma mater for a big percentage of the fan base or you grew up rooting for them because your dad went there or you grew up in Ames or whatever there is a read there's a very specific emotional tie to that very specific program it's not like most professional teams which it seems like this is the model they're sort of trying to emulate this sort of professional team you know, I grew up a Broncos fan, but I just stopped being a Broncos fan because eh, I didn't like the team anymore. Like that's not a thing. And so I just started rooting for other teams because there, there isn't a, a really substantial tie. And so professional sports, you can, if the, if the Broncos were to no longer exist in the NFL and they get replaced by the, I don't know, 
pick a team, the Seattle or the, the Portland, Oregon monkey Hawks. I don't know. And that's the team they replace the Broncos with. Eh, that's tough for Denver, but for the most part, someone's going to, the rest I'm going to read your fan bases are going to reshuffle to some other team. Like you're going to lose 10% of Broncos fans. The other 90% are going to latch onto some other team. That's not going to be the case with college athletics. I didn't go to Iowa. I didn't go to Mississippi state. I went to Iowa state. So I'm going to root for Iowa state. So when you start eliminating swaths, it's not like cutting a professional team where you have a pretty, a decent emotional tie. You have a very strong emotional tie. So when, if they're again, like you're talking about, we'll pay a, a billion and a half to carry this major super conference thing. And it's only going to be 30 teams. The viewership is going to drop by almost an exact percentage of the teams that they cut out just because I'm not going to care anymore. You know, if, if my team doesn't have a chance to play this, to even play this team, I'll watch whatever Iowa state's doing in their other league and not pay you. Like, I'm not, I don't care. I don't, this doesn't bother me. This doesn't pertain to me anymore. So a little bit of avoiding the chicken little situation. I don't think the sky is falling and everybody's going to leave to this major conference. That's personal opinion, just because there isn't enough financial sense or financial security to completely obliterate the model. Like, if you obliterate it and try and start fresh, there is no guarantee that that thing works to make the amount to cover the risk of that thing happening. So unless there are people that are extremely out of the loop, then it doesn't seem like that is the natural outcome. To me, the natural outcome is, um, I don't know exactly who from the big 12 ends up in some other conference, but those teams that end up in another major conference, that group of teams forms 60 or 70 or whatever it is, their own individual league, whether, whether or not governed by the NCAA as division one, division one, double a division one, triple a, whatever, like at some point, I think that that's where this ultimately ends up going because that I can see where the money comes from. I can't see where the money comes from if they just make it too small. And at the end of the day, the thing that drives sports, you know, viewership, the passion for sports is hope in the existence of hope for your team. And if your team's hope all of a sudden is gone because you're not even involved in what's the pursuit of the, of a championship or pursuit of, you know, the glory of being a national champion, like a lot of people just won't care anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the reality, you know, it, how often does it happen with people that are, or with, with teams that are just bad Kansas, does Kansas football have any hope? No. Do people care? Hell no, no. They don't care. And it will take years for people to even develop the, the hope and the possibility that I like that, that Kansas could be good enough to compete at that level. So it's going to take a long time to find people that are going to care for Iowa state, man. Like think how long it has taken Iowa state to build up that hope and build up a fan base and a group of people that have that, that general feeling of like, man, we're striving to go and do something and do something special. Now, like right on the verge of being able to do it. And that's why people it's like as rabid as it's ever been for Iowa state news. Mm -hmm. But for a long time, like that never existed. And it took a really long time to ever get there and to just throw all that shit away like that. That's what is just so crazy to me about all of this. You're taking away a lot of the beauty of sports in general, like not just, uh, not just in, in college athletics, but like just general sports. It's like if in the NBA, you know, you get the Lakers, uh, the Knicks, the Celtics, the Sixers, and, you know, take whatever the other four or six most 
major market teams, major market or winning is franchises. And then said, all right, the rest of you F you, we don't care. Mm-hmm. You're not in the league anymore. It's just us now. The NBA would crater. I mean, the NBA would be nothing at that point. The, if the NFL did the same thing, the NFL would be nothing. So why is college football think that like, Oh, we can do this and survive. And it won't matter because we've got these big brands like that. I have, I have some serious questions about how smart some of these people that are supposed to be so smart pulling the strings on this supposedly are, because I don't think they understand the, the damage they could potentially do to their own product by doing stuff like this. Yeah. And I think that's why, like I said, to come back to that, you know, money-making scheme metaphor where you talk to your brother and you talk to your brother-in-law and whatever, and all the people that are insulated with our own, worldview and point of view and how you see things and and that and then you take that to someone else and then that other person looks at it and goes what in the hell are you talking about so i think that that is i think we're at that point so like the sec reaching out to these other major programs to try and make this super thing i don't think that those other teams those those outside entities the non-brother-in-law to this money-making scheme, I don't think the non-brother-in-laws are actually going or to, to see that in the same light that, because Texas and Oklahoma, they're seeing it as they're getting it. And I have an, another thought on them too, but like they're seeing it as they're going to be able to become more of a secure, in a more secure conference, uh, more geographically close to what they're going to be doing. They're able to probably make a bigger piece of the pie, which is all true. Like those are all things that make sense. But when you approach then another person who is not part of this party that you are then trying to convince it's a good idea when it's not for them, like then they're going to, they have no reason to trust you at your word. Like if you're talking to, and what have they done? What has Texas done to make anybody want to trust them in the last 25 years? Exactly. Nothing, nothing, which I I think what's going to be really fun about this. Like in my opinion is going to be really fun about this is they're not going to win no, or for ever or very long, like for a very long time, because they now are going to probably let, let's assume that they're going to be put in the sec West. So they're going to put in the sec West. Cool. You might even win the sec West. Good for you. But you then have to play the winner of you're going to have to play Alabama LSU and Georgia. That's just to win the sec West. You got to play Alabama yeah. and Auburn and LSU. And then congratulations, you win that. You now have to play, or sorry, then you have to play Georgia or Florida on the other side. Like you, you're the team. You just made your job substantially harder to actually do the thing that you want to do that you haven't done. Like you couldn't win the Big Twelve when at any given time you have Oklahoma is going to be good. You're going to have two or three other teams that are worth something, and then the bottom half of the conference is going to be pretty average. Like uh, we were when we were there, I would consider us in that average part of the conference. So you had, you didn't, you had the chance to win, even when it was the big 12 North, the big 12 South. And all you had to do was just win the big 12 South. And you would have won everything because the North was garbage. You still couldn't do that most of the time. And it's, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think it's funny. And the other thing is now they're going to try and push their way around because they are Texas and that's what they're going to do. And Nick Saban and Alabama are going to look over like, shut up, kid like there's, they, they now have lost the leverage that they normally would have because A&M would be like, we didn't want you here anyway. Fine, go. So there's no, they've lost the leverage by joining this conference. They've now lost the leverage that they have long enjoyed or Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma's tried to push their weight around. Like they have more, what I would consider academic or excuse me, athletic clout 
than Texas does. And they've not really tried to swing it around as much as Texas has, but. Cause they're not a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so it's just, it's just funny. Like they're going to get to the sec and they're going to finish third in the conference. If that every year, because they're going to have to beat Alabama. They're going to have to beat LSU. They're going to have to be a and M every year. That's not going to happen. And that's what I don't wait. Okay. So, you know, people, Oh, well, it's about the money. Texas already has more money. And what's that done for them? They've won three big 12 titles in 25 years. You know who else has won three big 12 titles in 25 years? Colorado and Nebraska combined to win three big 12 titles in 25 years. And they haven't been in the league for 10 years. Yeah. Like, okay. So if money was the thing, Texas would already have more big 12 titles than Oklahoma does. And Oklahoma's won 14 of them. The, like, other, funny, you, the other funny thing about it is, you think the SEC network's going to go, all right, you can keep the Longhorn network. Well, yeah, no, that, I mean, that's dead. Like they're, they're they can't do that. So and, they have their, they have their own television network in the big 12 where they could make money from essentially unshared. They can make whatever they, whatever they want to make, they can make from their fan base. So then they go, all right, we'll join the SEC and they go, can we keep the Longhorn network? No, 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 no that stops. Okay. But uh, what if we want a rule passed? Yeah, you can go piss yourself. I don't care. What if, uh, I mean, we really don't enjoy the long, the horns down thing. It's disrespectful to university. <laughs> I don't care. So that's really what they're walking into is they've just sacrificed all the leverage that they would have had in the conference. So I think the one thing I, I honestly don't think this is necessarily about the money in the short term. This is about the being hitching their wagon to a more secure footing as the world moves towards this three tiers of college or three major tiers of college football rather than two where it's not no longer FCS FBS. I think there's going to be the power four five or whatever the next level and the level after that. And by being part, basically getting out of the big 12, then that allows them to be part of another conference that makes that is in the driver's seat and not hoping that you just get caught up by something. So they were allowed to, and at that point, at that point, I say you're being paranoid because there's no way that whatever would come next is going to exist without Oklahoma and Texas. Right. Like that you're just being paranoid, (laughs) you know, it's just a control thing. I think like you'd rather the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't, if you can choose where you go and how you go and when you go, in all those facets, then you know where you're going rather than waiting and seeing what happens. And then do you go as an independent? Do you then get part of the big 10? Do you go to the sec? Do you have to work on logistical scheduling on the fly? Like all the rest of the schools are doing, or do you get to pick where you want to go decide your future and go? I think it's more about control of the future, less about uh, a money grab for anything. I think they're just hitching the wagon to the strongest wagon. They can, there's the strongest cart they can. It's greed, but it's not, it's not greed in the sense of money. It's greed in the sense of power. Right. Than it is anything else. Power and control is that they want to control where they're going and not be responsive. They want to be on the front foot, which is fine. Like, honestly, that makes sense in the, the, what makes sense to me. Like I can see why you'd want to do that. Cause again, you look forward and I'm uh, again, personal bias, not actually nothing's confirmed, but I think that's where it's going is four major conferences. That's where, you know, whatever, or 60 major teams, however that looks. So you, you jump into that future ahead of time. The what makes sense, why you do that. The how makes absolutely no sense is that you are so secretive that you can't even communicate the thing that you're trying to do to then maybe make it better for everybody and not piss off everyone else in the process. They're like, how, I mean, granted, they might financially profit from in the short term, but like you're trying, if you're Texas, and it's three or four years from now, and you're trying to 
negotiate with even somebody like let's call it Amazon, Amazon web service. Like you're trying to create a streaming service beyond Longhorn network or whatever. And you're negotiating with another major business partner and you go, we will commit to eight years of this deal. And that partner, that person you're trying to negotiate with goes bull. If you're going to try and commit to this, we're going to need you to put in, in, you know, a, a, a buyout clause to your thing, because you are so you've negged on your word so many times that we do, we cannot trust what you are saying. So like by doing this underhanded stuff, they're really hurting their own reputation going into bigger negotiations, whether it's with other schools or other conferences or major sponsors or major vendors that they're going to be using for this stuff because they've not committed to anyone for any reason in any open or transparent way. So yeah, you go to Amazon web service and like, all right, $200 million to use your, to use Amazon's platform to broadcast the Longhorn network streaming service. And then they go eight years and Amazon goes, all right, cool. Eight years. If you violate this over eight years, you're going to pay us the entire value of that thing back plus interest. So you've really locked yourself into these really hard negotiations by doing it underhanded. So yes, the, what makes sense, the, how is a really, really shady. And I think poor business practice by doing it so underhanded. Uh, all right. So let's talk about some football real quick. Um, I think there are some football angles that we can discuss here for, for moving forward. First things first. I mean, we don't know how many seasons are left of the big 12. I think that fewer it would be more likely than, you know, more, I don't know the better way to put that. They will, it will end sooner rather than later, I think is the, the best way to say this as of today. And this is just for my personal belief. I am going to approach things as if this will likely be the last season of big 12 football. Yeah, Could same. there be another then? I mean, yeah, potentially, but as of right now today, I feel like it's highly unlikely that they will be together for the 2022 season to, to do this again. Same. And at the latest, I think that 2023 would be when this will, will all take into effect. Yeah, and I, I, again, to harken back to what Chris said this morning, I think, again, adding to the shadiness of, and I think we're all blaming Texas and I don't know if Texas is the one, and maybe Oklahoma was the one that started just. No, no, this was Texas. This was Texas and Oklahoma followed along. So the other thing, just how they're handling it of just doing it underhanded and then saying like, uh, we would like to honor our commitment to 2025, knowing that by making the statement that the SEC is leaving, then they're putting all other, the other eight members of the conference in a scramble position that somebody, at least one of those other eight is going to have a negotiation with a conference. Like maybe it's West Virginia, the ACC and the ACC is like, yeah, we can take you, but we have this conference thing. That's going to be realigned or renegotiated in 2023. And you can get in before 2023, then we can make it work. But if you do it after then it's not going to. So that accelerates the timeline to 2023, uh, Texas and Oklahoma get scot-free and they don't have to pay that hundred million dollars or whatever to leave early because the conference was broken up by somebody else. So they doing it underhanded by saying, uh, we're not going to renew our rights, but doing it four years ahead of time, knowing the hundred million or 70 million a piece, they're going to have to pay. They're essentially forcing, you know, like I'm not going to break up with you, but I'm going to be such a dick to you that you're going to want to break up with me. Like that's, I think the way that they're going to go about it, uh, that they are going about it, which is again, super shady, <laughs> complete side note, like non sequitur, how violently, Will they be booed at every single road venue for however long that they are in or around the big 12? 
Yeah, that was actually going to be my next thing. I was going to say, when Texas comes to Ames, Iowa on November 6th, I mean, I can't even imagine the reception that they will get. Oh, man, it's going to be... It will be visceral. Bad. Yeah. I honestly think, like, if you're administration for Texas, and this is... Okay, I'm going to say, don't do anything stupid. If you're listening to this, no matter how mad you are, don't do anything stupid. But for someone, some non-wise listener who's going to find out that's crazy, he's going to find out when the administration is going to get there and start throwing batteries at him. Like that kind of really may, it's not names or whatever, but some like Oklahoma state, can you imagine if you were an Oklahoma state fan, how pissed off you would be that your in-state school just said deuces without letting you know anything and is leaving you up completely in the ether. Like how horribly furious would you be if you're in Stillwater right now? So like, the amount of anger and vitriol that they're going to carry is going to match everybody else in the conference. Like everyone else is going to be like, piss off. And again, I think like the, the future time you're talking about football, I, I think the natural landing point, and this is perhaps a little Pollyanna, a little optimistic. I think the natural landing point is the big 10 West for Iowa state and Kansas because the academic ties, because the regional ties, but whatever that was probably, that will probably be a better situation. If in fact that happens for Iowa state and Kansas. So you're going to look back and go, man, this is nice. We have a stable conference, good regional games that you can drive to people, games that people care about, get to play Nebraska again, whatever, all that's fine. But like you look back and go, man, this was terrible. But in the same, that relationship metaphor, someone goes and has an affair, has a kid with somebody else. And you didn't know about it. Like how mad are you? That relationship was probably bad in the first place to cause them to want to go off and do that thing. And you're going to be better off for having broken up with them. But at the time, discovering that news is going to be like, I have never, like there was a, a stand-up comedian who said, uh, he was like, I, when I was growing up, I never understood. I never understood why someone would kill another person. And then I got cheated on. And it's not that I would do it but I can see why they did it. So like, that was just a, a joke, but like the amount of fury that you have towards somebody else or some other group, it's going to get directed at a group of 18 to 23 year old kids. that has nothing to do with it, but it is not going to be fun. Yeah. And I mean, it'll be what Nebraska got in 2010, like on steroids. Oh, also, uh, yeah. Also, uh, Texas, you're, benefit of doubt or whatever. I don't even know the best way to put it. The benefit of all of the concessions that everybody's made to you over the last decade, you can probably throw those out the window. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, why would the league want to help Texas at this point? I mean, it's, it's no different. Again, it's no different than what happened in Nebraska. Nebraska didn't get any benefit of the doubt from the league at that time. Mm -hmm. And, And they were, you know, I don't need think they necessarily were being targeted by the league or anything like that, but there was a lot of things that happened in that 2010 football season that did not go Nebraska's way that you could really sit there and say, Hmm, there is something odd going on here. I don't know that that will happen to Texas and Oklahoma, but it wouldn't shock me at all if it did. Yeah. And 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 it's probably deserved. Frankly, the games are going to try and be called fairly, but they're going to let a lot of stuff go now. Like normally like the horns down to another player. Like if you do it right in their face, that's probably going to be a still be a penalty. Like just, it's sort of, you like flipped off somebody in their face mask. It's probably going to be a penalty, but some, you know, fans are going to be just screaming profanities and obscenities at at the players and the coaches are going to request or the university is going to request that there is some type of warning given to the fans because of how negative it's going to be. And the fans are and the, the universities or whatever the, the conference is going to be like, so you brought this on yourself, deal with it. The like 
you know, when Iowa state went down to Baylor and they didn't get their tent request up soon enough. Do you think if it was Texas at that time, they would have let them? Yeah, probably they would have let them put up tents, but that's a university or that's a, a university and a conference decision. Now, when there's a debate and there's something put in the way of Oklahoma or Texas that they need, or there's a little rule thing that they're going to have to try and exploit, or they're going to make a complaint about some type of something. Do you, yeah. Do you think that the conference is going to treat them in a way that they've been deferred to in the past? Absolutely not. Like what do we have to, we've treated you more like this. So I was reading another thing uh, in, in the book that I'm reading right now. And it was a quote, quote of John Madden. Someone asked John Madden about, would you, would Terrell Owens be on your team or whatever, you know, would you like Terrell Owens on your team? And he said, well, if uh, I don't, you know, if, if everybody needs to be on time for the bus, otherwise, if people aren't on time for the bus, you bus leaves or the bus holds on for too long and you miss the game entirely. Well, some people are wait or worth holding the bus for mentioning that Terrell Owens was good enough for just him to be held to, for the bus to be held late for. They've been doing that with Texas and Oklahoma and no longer is that going to be the case. So they're going to get treated fairly in deference to in the same way that everybody else will. So there's, yeah, they have, they've shot themselves in the foot and it's gonna be really hostile from, from that point, from this point forward is going to be extremely hostile and not probably not fair to them, which they brought on themselves. Okay, which teams in the Big 12 right now would you like to see Iowa State remain tied to in some way? Or is there um, anybody that you have an affinity towards that it's like I would, in whatever scenario takes place, I would like to see Iowa State stick with such and such? So from a like-to standpoint or from an expect-to standpoint? Um, let's start with like-to, and then we can go to expect-to. Okay. In like-to, I hope that Kansas State doesn't get put out in the cold. I think they're a team that see, it feels like they're a kind of a, a brotherhood, sisterhood connection to Iowa State. They're a land-grant university. They've been down on the lock for a while. They, then they finally got good at stuff. Uh, it seems like they are more – it seems like they're a team – that I would, that I hope comes Iowa state's able to say connected to. Um, and I would say a similar thing about Oklahoma state, which is they, they're another school that seems sim cut similar from a similar cloth than Iowa state. Um, and then I think from a rivalry standpoint in basketball, when Iowa state is good, Iowa state, Kansas is as good of basketball as you can, you know, as you can compete with. So those three schools are the ones that, you know, Kansas, Kansas state, and I were in Oklahoma state are the three that I hope there is some way that there can be some type of negotiation that I would like to see, be able to stay together in some form or fashion. Okay. Then let's talk about the realistic thing then. Kansas. That's about it. I think like the most, you know, the, the reports sort of that have come out and again, I, I dear listener caution yourself against fake crap. So uh, the sources that you're going to be able to actually take stuff from are very few and far between who would be connected to this. But I think the, the reports that have been put out where Iowa state in Kansas, because they're part of the AAU, uh, get tagged into the Big Ten. Um, the Texas schools that are the remaining Texas schools and Oklahoma State get tagged into the Pac-12. Uh, and then West Virginia goes to the ACC. And then I don't know what happens to Kansas State. But I think realistically, the outcome that kind of makes the most sense for everybody, in my opinion, is that one where you have – then you'd have Arizona, Arizona state, the three Texas schools, Oklahoma state, plus, you know, some other like Utah or something like that. Like you'd have them as part of one part of the PAC 12 and that PAC 12 could make sense. You'd have the Texas influence. You'd have people that that would actually strengthen that conference. The big 10, 
imagine Iowa State in the Big Ten West. And that's why I say, like, you know, you're the spouse who got divorced or got cheated on or whatever, and you ended up in a better relationship. Imagine a fall where you can play Iowa on rivalry week in November to get to the big 10 championship game. You can play Wisconsin. You can play Minnesota. You can play Nebraska. You can play Kansas still. You can play Northwestern. You can drive to all of those games. You probably, a lot of people that are in central Iowa have family in or around those other areas. So you could like, I have an uncle that lives in Madison. Like I could theoretically stay with him, go to the Wisconsin game. Like it seems like it's a good landing spot to have meaningful games on during meaningful times to have a strong position in a conference, both in basketball and in football. And if you are a tenant, if you're on the tennis team at Iowa state and you're playing on Wednesday nights in April or something like that, or I guess I don't know what, what's, you know, what season that is. And your road games are in Minneapolis and you come back or in Lincoln, and then you can come back and then, or whatever, you don't have to go to Morgantown or Waco or Lubbock or Stillwater. Like you're not traveling so far. So like it, it makes geographic and monetary sense for Kansas and Iowa state to get tagged in the big 10 West. The Texas schools go to the PAC 12 West region. You go to the ACC and hopefully Kansas state lands somewhere. Yeah. And I think too, that, you know, there's people out there that say, Oh, these schools don't have that much to offer. Well, I mean, I, I think that's just blatantly false. Like I think Kansas and Iowa state would both bring a considerable amount to the big 10 in that scenario. I would also say if you're in the big 10 West and you're Iowa state, you probably have to consider expanding Jack Trice stadium at that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, obviously Iowa state already sells out nearly every game, but now you're going to add in all of these other fans that are going to be coming to games as well. Minnesota, Iowa, with yeah. Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, if you're Iowa state at that point, you better get pretty damn close to where your stadium holds 70,000 people or more yeah. or more. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that that would work out for Iowa state. It would be weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it would be really, really weird. Um, but it's like, I, I can get behind the ideas of being in some of these other leagues, you know, it's, and it sucks because none of it's going to be the same. You throw out a lot of the quirkiness of, and a lot of, you know, tradition, I suppose, of what has been, has existed for a hundred years. I mean, Iowa state, Kansas state, Kansas and Oklahoma state have been in the same league for more than 100 years mm -hmm. and have been playing each other in football and other sports every year for more than 100 years to lose that, I think would be, would, would be shitty for, uh, you know, for, for college athletics, but, um, but at the same I, time you'd be building yeah, Iowa State, Minnesota every right. year. at the end of the same time. Like, I, I think it would be interesting because it gives you some more natural, uh, rivalries and things like that. And it would not take long. I don't think for some of that bad blood to be brewed. I mean, obviously Nebraska has developed some of those things now over 10 but, years, but also how happy, how happy is Nebraska? To that's that's my other that. thing. It, like we've seen where this can end up and not be that good. You know, mm -hmm. if you had to ask Nebraska on any given Saturday, would you rather be playing Rutgers today? Or would you rather be playing Kansas? I'm going to go out on a limb and guarantee you that the answer to that question would be Kansas. Mm -hmm. Would you rather be playing Northwestern or would you rather be playing Kansas state, state or yeah. Iowa state or who, you know, somebody else in the big 12. Yeah. And I know that that's the case because of the fact that the two programs that ran this league for 70 years uh, in Oklahoma and Nebraska have agreed to play again this year to honor the 50 year anniversary of the 1971 game of the century. 
these programs recognize the importance of the history of, of all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's what is like, again, that's what's so frustrating is just to throw it all the way. You kind of got to start over at the end of the day, like it's going to work out. I think Iowa state will be fine, but it's where I sit here and I'm like, man, I don't want to have to do all that, you know, mm -hmm. when everything is already pretty damn good anyway. And there's a lot of things that are there to be liked about the current scenarios without all of this shit. Yeah. I, I do think that there is, uh, there is some lamenting the situation that you're, you know, lamenting the situation that you're in, uh, or that, that has happened, but, uh, to take the very wise words of my sister-in-law. So my sister-in-law and brother, um, had triplets in December. They're seven and a half months old. It is absolute pandemonium at their house most of the time. And she is a champion, like the most patient human being on earth. Cause generally at any given time, one of them's having a meltdown and you never see her get flustered or frustrated with the kids. I mean, she does, but she, you never see her get frustrated. And we, at one point we were like, man, her name is Chelsea. I'm like Chelsea, you are an absolute superhero. You never get upset about this thing or anything. And she goes, she kind of just puts her hands or palms up and she goes, life says cards. You say, okay, that's your only choice. And so you saying like, all right, I mean, not you, you specifically, you as the, the royal you generally in the world being like, man, this sucks. But at the same time, making the best of what you got, I think can end up being better. And so like, this is, again, maybe it's just me being an optimist or whatever, some, somewhere between realism and optimism. I think in, in seven years, the things that are going to be true will make it a substantially better position to be called in the big 10 than it would be to be in the big 12, because if you are playing like, like seven years, how, how much nationally has attendance dropped over the last 20 years? Substantial, right? Like a, a significant increase because the at-home experience has gotten a lot better. Well, with 4k and bigger TVs becoming a lot cheaper and uh, houses being able to accommodate viewing rooms and whatever, like, and the travel between games is so far for a lot of teams that you don't care anymore. Like it doesn't, it's less interesting to go to a game than it is to watch it at home. So if you are going to, if you're a person at ESPN or whatever, you talk about inventory, things that you want are games that matter and full stadiums. Like you want games that are relevant to the championship discussion, because if you're, if it is uh, pick a bad pack 12 team, Oregon state, say it's Oregon state versus Maryland on October 5th, both teams have a combined six wins. Who cares? The stadium's not going to be full because it's super far away. The game doesn't matter. So no one's going to tune in. So in seven years, let's say again, in a situation where Iowa state joins the big 10 West, every game is going to be a drivable distance. So even if Iowa state's not quite as good or Minnesota is not quite as good as they were, Wisconsin's not quite as good as they want to be. You're still close. Like the Minnesota Wisconsin game sells out every year, regardless of who's there. Iowa, Iowa state sells out every year. Iowa state, Nebraska, is going to sell out every year because they're close. So it care, it matters to the people there because there is overlap where you're going to go in Northern Iowa. If you're playing Minnesota or Northeastern Iowa, even Des Moines, there's going to be Badger fans that went to Madison, grew up here. You're going to go up to, to the office and say, Hey, dickhead, we got you this weekend. Like you're going to have that natural care because there's overlap of the populations. So the games matter. So people are going to tune in. And it's close enough to drive so you can actually be there. So you have this conference with, again, Kansas, three hours, Lincoln, two and a half, Minnesota, three and a half, Wisconsin, five, Chicago, six, with Northwestern, Illinois, with five or six, uh, Iowa, 
hour and a half. Like you're going to have all of these really close regional games, one that people want to go to two with geographic overlap of that passion. So it actually gives people a reason to tune in if they're not going. And so the conference and the situation you're in is substantially stronger. Cause in seven years, if, if Iowa state's playing Texas tech and Texas tech has four wins and Iowa state has seven wins, who cares? No one outside of that actual individual is going to play it. But if switch that to Minnesota has four wins and Iowa state has six wins, at least most of the populations of those states are going to tune in because there's a national geographic overlap. So in my head, assuming that this, the, that Oklahoma and Texas gone, gone is gone. Good could be Iowa state and Kansas to the big 10 West makes sense for everybody around, including the big 10, because it brings natural regional partners that in seven years, when the home experience is so good that people don't want to go to the games anymore, it makes it so people would want to go to the games. So I think it, it, all of this, we can kind of like tie a bow on it. Like in my opinion, all of this can end up being better for Iowa state than they are right now. And you know what the great thing would be to tell Texas to kiss our ass, you know, like you want to go to the sec and get your ass beat by Alabama for 15 years in a row, or as long as Nick Saban has a pulse, have fun, buddy, you go down there lose your leverage and get your ass kicked. We're going to go to the big 10 and have teams that actually care. Like you, you are playing against relevant opponents that you can trash talk with as much as we hate Iowa fans. Sometimes the fact that we kind of care about them, good or bad, they root for them or root against them. You care. Same thing with Iowa, whether or not, if you hate Iowa state and you watch, like watching Iowa state lose every weekend, you at least care where if TCU wins or loses, do you care if you're a Hawkeye fan doesn't matter at all. So being part of a group that at least good or bad, cares about what happens. That to me seems like a better situation. So I don't know, perhaps this is me optimistic, but it seems like if Texas and Oklahoma want to leave and Iowa state can get Iowa state and Kansas can get their way in the big 10. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, Texas. See ya. All right. My last thing I want to say, if you're someone who has uh, never been to the big 12 tournament in Kansas city or has never, you know, has always wanted to go or something like that. You just haven't found the time. I don't know when tickets become available for something like that, but man, if do it because who knows how many more times we get an opportunity to do something like that. Who knows if they, you know, say Iowa state goes to the big 10, would they ever come to Kansas city and play that tournament? Probably not, you know, and it is one of the great sporting events in the Midwest. It's one of the great sporting events. I think in the country, the best college basketball tournament in the country, and it will be really, really sad to see that go. Uh, I think for not just for us, but I mean, I think the sport in general will really miss the big 12 tournament and having that atmosphere in Kansas city. Um, so like I said, if you're someone who's never done that before, I, I highly suggest you try and do that next year because we never know if it's going to be the last one. You have anything to say about that? No, but, uh, the, again, maybe the optimism in me, imagine you get Iowa state, Kansas, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio state playing Indianapolis. That could be a cool fun. That I mean, Iowa state fans bring the party wherever they're going to. So invite us to whatever barn you want to have a shindig in. We're going to bring the beer. Like that's, it seems like you can make a party anywhere. Do you think the big 10 would ever play the uh, big 10 championship game at Drake stadium? Uh, probably not. Oh, okay. Just, Everybody else has a nice big stadium they can go play in. We don't have one. So that's why there's maybe the uni dome go play up there. The uh, big 10 championship. Yeah. In the, dome? in the dome. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I just, I mean, I don't know. They, 
play the class four state championship game every year. I mean, don't they want to play in a historic venue? There's a couple dozen people go to the eight man championship every year. Hey, don't, don't you talk shit about eight man, bro. <laughs> All right. It's, it's like basketball on grass. Okay. All right. Thanks Beautiful Jeff. Yeah. We'll talk next week. Maybe we'll actually talk about Iowa state football next week with, since yeah, there will be literally one month until the season. It's just going to be explosion after explosion, after explosion, after explosion, tune into cyclone fanatic. And again, just, I, right, sorry, I said one last thing before, uh, dear listener, again, pay attention to your, I mean, Jared, you can probably give at least a list right away of people to actually trust reporting of, I mean, Chris Williams is one of them. Um, Brett McMurphy is another one. Pete Thamel. Pete Thamel. Anybody who works for the athletic, I think you can pretty much trust, uh, Nicole Arbach, Stuart Mandel, Bruce Feldman. Uh, you said Brett McMullen, um, Ivan Mizell, who isn't really writing for anybody right now, but he's working on a new site. I think he's been pretty active on Twitter. Uh, Dennis Dodd from CBS. I mean, the usual, the usual suspects for the most part, but don't listen to random people on the internet. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of random people on the internet who don't know there's, a damn thing. Yeah. There's a lot including of including us, a lot of getting tossed around, but trust your sources, check your sources when in doubt look at the patreon feed or when in doubt if you see something that if you see something from an account that you're not 100 percent sure if you know of, of what their validity is go to one of those other ones and say okay what are or have they said anything along the lines of this because you know if usually if some random guy in topeka kansas has a report then there's probably somebody at a national level that has the same thing that you can corroborate with don't just trust one person trust everybody or not trust everybody, you know, aggregate, try yeah. and gather the best information possible. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, I got some work to do. I think there's going to be some stuff coming down here in about half an hour. So I'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace. Welcome into another edition of the cyclone fanatic podcast. It's a Thursday mo- or what day is it? It's Wednesday. It's a Wednesday morning, man. This is off to a killer start. It's Wednesday morning here, uh, in my version of the cyclone fanatic home office. Uh, next week we're going to start uh, season. What will this be season four or season five? I guess of football and random things with Jeff Woody. And we'll be back ready to go with, I think a week and a half at that point, uh, to go until fall camp starts in up in Ames. Uh, but to prime us, for Jeff Woody and all of his wacky analysis. We wanted to get some real analysis, go to the bullpen and bring in the man, the myth, the legend. It's Jay Jordan. What's up, my, my brother. Hey man, that's a shot at Jeff. I think, <laughs> I mean, is it like, is it out of pocket? I, I feel like I didn't say anything that's, you know, that's too uh, far of a stretch or anything. No, he's uh. so, so I was thinking about it the other day. I was thinking if I, if I make a random appearance on, on the football and random things that we should change the name for those from, uh, from the fart to uh, football J and random things. And it'd be dark. Like a fjord. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be great. Um, and uh, it, those are the episodes where I, it's like an hour and a half long and the total time that I talk is like for two minutes and then yeah, it's I, you and Jeff oh, the rest I, of the time. That, 
make sure you talk a lot today. I think everybody wants to know what you think. Oh no. People have had plenty of time to hear, to, to hear what I think I have. Uh, I, I've had plenty of time for that and um, I'll have plenty more time for it. We, we want to hear from you. Uh, all right. So on this one, we, we have a handful of things that we want to get through. Obviously big 12 media day uh, was last week and ex- expectations remain sky high for Iowa state. They've been square in the middle of watch list season. I think the Cyclones will have somebody on just about every watch list that's going to come out here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I think that there is an interesting conversation to have about the, you know, the what ifs, like if, uh, it, maybe if Iowa State wasn't able to to fulfill their potential, or or you know if they go the other way, uh, for Iowa State to fulfill their potential and uh, you know be a team that goes ten and two, eleven and one, or you know maybe even twelve and zero or something like that in the regular season, then uh, these things that have to to go their way or could potentially go against them and and put them in position to uh, you know have what I think in the general context of Iowa state history probably would not be a disappointing season, but would be disappointing uh, considering what all of the uh, preseason expectations are. And you and I were just talking a little bit here before, uh, before the, we started the podcast started recording. Um, I mean, I think both of us feel like there's really only a handful of games that uh, we would generally consider to be toss ups, like things that could be, you know, you have a razor's edge margin for error. Uh, I think Iowa State's margin for error this season is exponentially larger than what it has been in a lot of past years. Uh, but I do still think there's a couple games that, you know, if a if you know you have a couple things that aren't going your way, then uh, the it could ch- really change the outcome. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to categorize our, you know, pre-broadcast discussion here is is margin for error is is first you know uh i could like to break things down you, you need to define you know what is error so they're a top 10 team they're going to be a consensus top 10 team top 12 uh maybe coming uh into the season so a top 10 team expectation is what max two losses yeah i'd say that's fair I mean, last year was weird, but um, I think for an ordinary season like we're facing, we're looking at two losses. So that means a 10-2 and two run uh, through 12 games and then uh, then a championship game and bowl game on top of that. So so your margin for error is, is pretty thin when you're looking at only, only two losses. And you look at a schedule uh, and the teams we face, which we can talk about as to what those, those threats are. I think the low-end potential for this team – is or I think the, the inside the room they'd be disappointed with anything less than two, or anything more than two on the loss side. I think, from my perspective as a fan, if, if they got down to four or five losses, uh, I would think that there there were some some issues that weren't able to be solved, uh, some questions going into the season that weren't able to be answered during, uh, and think you know, for the purpose of our discussion, kind of put that as our bar for what would be error. So, so Jared, what do you think are the games that you, you just mentioned where the margin of error is low, where there's uh, not, they're not going to walk in as a, as a decided favorite. Uh, I, I will say even before we get going, like I, I think people will realize 
when the roster is in the position that Iowa State's roster is in right now, like some of this is going to be kind of picking nits, you know, like when you return 20 starters, like you, you kind of got to dig deep for things that could potentially go wrong. We've seen so many of these guys play and play at a high level that it's like, you're, you know, it's, we're really just trying to be devil's advocate in a sense, I think would be the best way to put it. But I think when you look at the, uh, at the schedule games that they're not going to be, I mean, and, and, decided favorites like i think some of these games they could still be a touchdown favorite in uh but they're the ones that historically when you think about iowa state up against these teams like there's uh you just never know which way it could go and i, I mean obviously iowa is one of those games uh, i think kansas state on the road in manhattan is one of those games oklahoma state uh the t- a team that iowa state has uh lost two in a row to uh, is one of those uh, is one of those games Texas, Oklahoma, and then I think if TCU is improved to the point that uh, that some people think that they could be if Max Duggan has a really good year for for the Horn Frogs, and it, it, you know it wouldn't surprise me to be see that one be uh, a, a really close game. So th- those are the ones that I think like if I was going to sit right here today and say which lines are going to be the closest when uh, when they come out, uh, well and then obviously Oklahoma, but that I think that one's kind of in its own own category category on its own um but the ones where iowa state will probably still be a favorite but you know a touchdown or less it's uh iowa kansas state oklahoma state texas and tcu would you agree with those i totally agree with that i'd put kind of a secondary threat on the kansas state and tcu uh it really depends on where those teams are you know when tcu being the last game of the season uh the the other four for sure. I mean, Oklahoma State, it's a riddle that Iowa State struggled to solve. Iowa hasn't been solved yet. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas um, are a little bit more even uh, matchups based on the last three to four years of history uh, between the two teams. Um, but those those are the real threats where, where if losses creep up and that margin for error and some of the um, questions going in. And like you said, you got 20 returning starters. So we're really talking about uh, do they do they stay the same? Do they elevate or do they regress uh, coming back uh, with that team? The expectation is that you're going to progress every year with more experienced players, and some of those players are super seniors and very experienced, uh, which is a cool thing. You're not, uh, but it can breed complacency. Uh, however, I think Matt Campbell's pretty solid at making sure that complacency does not set in i wouldn't rise his program one that is threatened by that yeah i i would agree with that and i think that's where you know you see people talk and this is more of a even a national narrative i don't know i guess I, there's probably a, a local narrative element to it as well but when you think about like how does iowa state handle expectations and all this kind of stuff i mean in my mind, like, I, I don't really see that being that big of a deal because every year for the last, whatever it's been every year since 2017, going into the year, we expected the, it to be like the best season the team had ever had. It's been the most right. anticipated season in programs history. And like, this is not really any different. Obviously now the expectations are even higher than they've ever been before, but every year the expectations get higher. The expectations go to another level because they keep getting better. And like, that's where I, I sit here and I'm like, I mean, I don't know, like, obviously they've dealt with what expectations are for Iowa state. How's this any different than it's ever been before? Because I don't think they really pay attention to what people say 
uh, from a national standpoint or anything like that. Like, I just, I really don't think that these guys are focused on that stuff. Like, you know, Brees Hall and Brock Purdy and so on down the line, like they're not reading the press clippings uh, or looking at bowl projections and stuff like that. They just, you know, they don't give a shit. Like, it's just, we're going to go out and do our job and keep trying to get better. If that makes sense. It does also when you show up at big 12 media days as the number two uh, team on the board picked by the media that are there, the questions are about why is the coach still in Ames? There's no, the discourse wasn't about the body of work that these players have put in uh, over the last two years. Uh, and last year under challenging circumstances, it was about why is your coach still with you? I think, I think that, that would be threatening. Like, or not threatening. That would be really uh, demeaning, I think, if I was a player. I, I, that would really piss me off to hear something like that. Yeah, so the chip-on-the-shoulder mentality, which is good for a football team, uh, and especially one cracking the ranks of, of persistent winners like Iowa State is, yeah, you want something like that. Whatever their headlines are, whatever is there, I think it's mitigated by that level of disrespect to what, they accomplished. And while they're acknowledged and their rankings will, will show that I, I think they've got a heavy, heavy dose of, of you don't believe, let me show you. Right. It's like, we all know, you know, the national media is giving Iowa state some respect. They're going to be so highly ranked in the, in the preseason and all that kind of stuff. Like they know that Iowa state on, it looks like it should be a good team, but at the same time, they're not giving Iowa state the respect that I think that they probably have earned, you know, I think there's a lot of teams in college football that if they were going to be a top 10 team would never have to face some of the questions that Iowa state has had to face. And obviously there's not that many programs that rise as quickly from where Iowa state was five years ago to where the program is right now. But that's just something that I've noticed where it's like, man, how often do you ever see a top 10 team that the only thing people want to talk about is, uh, you know, why the coach is still even there, how you're going to handle expectations. Like, why aren't you talking about that with Indiana? Indiana hasn't had a big expectations or anything like that. And they're going to be a borderline top 10. North Carolina is going to be a borderline top 10 team. And they're, like, I don't see them answering those questions. How are they any different than Iowa state on a national scale? Um, I don't know other than, than, for years, you know, there, there was a thing no one remembers now um, called Clemsoning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before Dabo started winning and put Clemson in, in the position they were. That's because Clemson couldn't get past eight or nine games. They'd lose all the big games. There was an expectation nationally that, yeah, Clemson's going to choke when it gets good, but they'll be a respectable team. Well, then that narrative changed. Um, Iowa State's in the position to try to change that narrative. I think what causes the questions is no one expects this to be sustained. They expect this to be the result of a few special players and a couple special places, which means that the people are not paying attention or giving, um, giving enough credence to what's been done to build the roster. I mean, even this last week where great recruiting battles were won um, for Iowa state unprecedented ones, really um, you know, there's, there's a lot of criticism that comes out of the woodwork about um their sustainability or what it means or, or those players are discounted. Trust me, guys in the locker room feel that they know that that's more palpable than the positive accolades. And um, that that's one of the comforts I have with this team going into the season. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like 
there was the guy that's on the Iowa staff that was talking about negative recruiting and all that kind of stuff, which is a whole other can of worms because if Iowa wants to complain about negative recruiting, then don't keep giving yourself stories to be negatively recruited off of, which is a whole other issue. But, uh, Iowa State's getting negatively recruited by the by the damn media, dude. Like all these people that want to get up there and say, "Why are you still at Iowa State?" and all this kind of stuff. Like that's easier to see than a kid going on a visit and having a coach tell them, you know, "Oh, this 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 and this, such and such, and whatever." And um, I thought that the 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 story that was on the Athletic. I don't know if you saw this, but it was on there yesterday. Uh, with Matt Campbell telling, uh, told Max Olson a story about being on an airplane, going on vacation to Florida and putting the entire roster into tiers, seven tiers based on, you know, elite players and so on down the line, just where on guys are in the developmental cycle. And the way that story read did not sound like a guy who's looking to jump from Iowa state anytime soon. And like, those are not the kinds of stories that we see about Iowa state very often, you know, where it's like pinpointing, Clearly Matt Campbell is not focused on going anywhere else. He's looking at what the roster is right now and how do we sustain this, you know? And uh, I don't know, that's neither here nor there. It's a tangent and I've kind of gone away from what we were going to do, but uh, let's, uh, let's for hours and hours. That's always the case, but, but it's a, it's a highly interesting topic. So let's, let's switch our gears to the field and see how we think that might play out. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, um, what's the, what's the first thing that in your mind, uh, can prevent Iowa state from, uh, reaching the, I guess the expectation level for, uh, for the program. Um, okay. So I, I have four things that I picked out that I thought, um, uh, I'm, I'm just calling them vulnerabilities. And I don't think any of them will be a surprise and have already been talked about a lot. Maybe you and I will have a, have a different take or you disagree with me, but the first one and the largest one is, is the quarterback efficiency. So, so not so much the quarterback play, but the quarterback's efficiency in that turnovers uh, are loom large. Uh, We all have indelible prints in our memory of, of interceptions thrown at inopportune times. Um, those need to be reduced. They haven't been necessarily over the last two years. Can another year of seasoning do that for Brock? Um, and then also, Jeff and I talked about this after his freshman year, uh, repeatedly actually on the fart and otherwise, uh, just about his comfort in the pocket. And he seems to be more comfortable and looks for a reason to get out of the pocket versus being able to stand in and throw. Now, last year was interesting because you had Charlie and you had Chase uh, Allen and you had Xavier Hutchinson, but you didn't have a whole lot on that that third tier of receiving options as far as getting open. And that can cause a guy to have nervous feet and make throws he might not otherwise make. But can Brock Purdy dial in to a level of efficiency? And look, he's already the most efficient quarterback and highest completion percentage and all that in Iowa State history. I'm not asking him to complete 85% of his passes. I'm asking him not to make those ones that are critical that cause Iowa State to have to overcome uh, certain plays he makes in a game. I think there's an element of uh, Brock still, you know, needing to realize when, uh, when to utilize the fact that if you just throw the ball into the ground rather mm-hmm. than trying to do too much, there's value there. Cause at least you keep the football, you know, yeah. like 
that's always kind of been a conversation with him. And I think there's been moments where it looks like he's gotten better, but how, when's the last time we ever saw Brock Purdy roll out of the pocket, see there's nothing to do with the ball and just chuck it a mile out of bounds. <laughs> you know, I don't know. If we've I, ever seen it. We've seen it, but it's, it's rare. And it's usually an errant throw in, a, in an attempt to complete it as yeah. opposed to clear dump off you're right that so that's the maturity that's the game slowing down that you hear people talk about um the game still looks fast for him at times uh longer stretches last year occurred where the game was was slowed down but it still looks fast at time going into his fourth year as a starter uh the game should be crawling along and and that another point to this is his help his help so wide receivers when i teach wide receivers i've been doing that this summer some uh i'm teaching them to run the right routes because the quarterback has has a, have an expectation of where you're going to be when he looks for you um, but when that ball is in the air it becomes the wide receiver's responsibility to make a play to make his quarterback and protect his quarterback when the ball is in his direction that means they have to run the right routes and that means when bad throws come in they have to contest those bad throws i don't think we see that a lot at iowa state and i want to see the receivers progress to where their effort level on both their precision of the route running and when that ball is contested uh making sure that ball hits the ground or goes somewhere where it's like you said incomplete and can be a positive play instead of a negative one and I think too, even, you know, with a receiver, it's like, you know, I think a good it's, it's knowing when Brock is extending a play, because that's one of the things that he's, he's so good at, at escaping the pocket and just being able to keep a play alive and keep the possibilities alive. It's uh, I think of it as like when you're playing basketball and the opposing team is playing a zone and yes. you just got to find open space. Like I, I, I can think of specific situations where, you know, Brock would throw the ball up to somebody, basically a jump ball and the Iowa state receiver is standing behind two defenders, you know, and he's trying to get it up over the top of two defenders to a receiver. And it's like the, an element of, okay, we know you'd know the route you're supposed to run, but when that guy is just running for his life and he's trying to keep the play alive and he's trying to get something done, like you just got to get to some space that is open, you know, and uh, not just be like standing there with the opposing defensive backs. Does that kind of make sense? Uh, what it, I'm trying to say? It's like find open space. And if you can find open space, he'll probably find you, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to teach because it's not necessarily natural and you have to drill it. And I'm sure Iowa state does. Uh, I found myself this summer in, in seven on seven coaching where, where we had to get to a point where our kids were, comfortable with making those adjustments when the play broke down or the initial route wasn't what was covered. Um, yeah. Those type of small details though, can help make your quarterback more efficient, can give Brock Purdy more, uh, more balance in, in his performances and even that out if that can be done. But that, that I believe is still a question and is a vulnerability for Iowa state, a potential upside limiter uh especially in those games that are expected to be close yeah i i absolutely agree with you and i i think like the best example of this is of that kind of thing is the kansas city chiefs and obviously brock purdy is not patrick mahomes i'm not 
trying right. to say this, but the chiefs receivers are so good at when Patrick Mahomes is being Patrick Mahomes back there. Like Tyree kill probably isn't running the route that Tyree kill was supposed to be running, but Tyree kill finds some wide open space. And then all of a sudden Patrick Mahomes finds him and they're going to gain 30 yards because Tyree kill just found some open area behind people or around people and was able to just get to where Mahomes could find him and get the ball in. Like it, there's it, an element of having the instincts to be like, Oh crap, Brock's in trouble. I just got to get open, you know? Yep. Like I, I just got to find open area and, and get there. And if he's got his eyes down the field, he's going to be able to spot me. And, uh, I think that, you know, that's just for, I think there's probably an element too. like Iowa state's receivers were not necessarily young last year, but they were not overly seasoned in game, especially once Tariq got hurt. You know, I think once those guys have had some more time to be on the field and stuff like that, you start to see those things more instinctually and, and see those openings. Right. But I want to make the point on this vulnerability that that's a fine detail. Yeah. If we get the type of play that we've gotten out of Brock Purdy for the last three years, uh, Iowa State's going to have an opportunity to win most, if not all, of their games. So, so again, a fine detail. So, number two is another obvious point, uh, third safety and second corner coverage so so last season the coverage was solid anthony johnson was was great i expect him to be very similar but there was a vulnerability on the uh on this other side with uh who was it kyle young and tampa all played over there um well as well as some others just trying to find solid lock not lockdown coverage just solid coverage there and where I got beat or the ball got moved on them happened to be there. The third safety I'm comfortable with Ashim young, keep your head in the game, stay in the game, please. Um, and Greg Eisworth is, you know, the old, old statesman there, but Lawrence white was a great positional player and losing him can be a big deal. Um, while I think there's talent to replace him, uh, experience is lacking. So, so, getting those two areas improved to improve that vulnerability on the defense. Um, I think is, I think that's a threat though, because that allows teams to get easy completions and first downs. Um, if those can be made a little bit harder then the upside is there. If Iowa state has trouble um, in those two areas and those two positions on the defense, then, um, then I think that's a vulnerability in, in those contested games. Which one of those cornerbacks do you think has the best chance to, or from what you've seen, is, is the guy that's the most well-equipped to uh, step in and, and be that guy at that position? Uh, Tampa, TJ Tampa. I, I think he's athletically superior um, to the other options there. Now, there was a kid, he played a little bit last year, um, that I really liked coming out of high school. And I don't, I haven't, I didn't mention his name when I was talking to people up there this summer. Uh, but Michael Antoine, I thought was a, a guy who had the coverage skill and strength physicality to be, uh, to be what we needed out there. But I think Tampa is, if I had to, you know, if I was a genie and I could, I could put somebody in there to really take control of that position. I think his length, his athleticism, his speed and quickness are, what is required and, and if he can bring uh, his tackling up to a level to support in the run solidly like Johnson does, then I think he'd be the guy 
But Datron Young has tons of experience. Tavon Kyle has quite a bit of experience, and both of them have done decent things. Um, but I'd like to see a guy like Tampa realize his potential. Is that what you've heard or what you would think? Yeah, uh, I have heard that that kid's going to be a freaking stud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, so with what I know, I've heard. If, if we're looking at just kind of the, the probability of these threats to – Iowa City or to Iowa, um, golly, Gordian slip. Um, to to this, what's the probability of those things occurring? I, I think uh, you know the quarterback efficiency remains a question. I I put at least on that corner side this to be a fairly low probability of being worse or the same as it was last year. I think it'll be better. Yeah. I agree with that. I think it helps too, that they've got like a bazillion guys that they can throw out at those positions. Yeah. And that, that good and bad, right? If yeah. I've got just like in basketball, if I've got three threes that are all the same and nobody can get in the rhythm because I can't decide who to play the best, then, then I'm, I'm struggling. Uh, even though I might have a baseline talent level. And that's my worry at safety is I think there's three or four kids all about the same age and experience level that can, play that safety spot. I just don't want to see it rotate. I want to see somebody get in there get a rhythm and grab that position. And I don't know who that is at safety. I don't know if it's older, um, a converted corner or, or who that guy is. Well, I mean, I would think that the, assuming that he's able to pick up the defense, probably the odds on favorite would be Jaquan Amos, the transfer from Villanova. Uh, that's was, why. They, yeah. I mean, but, that's why they went and got him was a, because he was, a guy that I think they thought could come in and, and play that role. And he obviously was really productive at, at Villanova had eight interceptions and uh, had four defensive touchdowns in three years at, at Villanova. I think I'd be okay with that uh, sliding into the defensive backfield for, for Iowa state. But uh, I mean, if that guy can come in and play at that level, like what he did at the, at the FCS level, then I, I think that that position automatically becomes like no concern in my mind. Okay. Then, then maybe that's not as big a concern as I think, but I think it's on the roster and examining the play last year, a vulnerability for this year. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the kid play, you know? So uh, like, obviously it still could be like, it, it's definitely a, a valid concern. I'm just saying like, if, if that guy comes in and plays at the level that he, he showed he could at Villanova, then like, that's a way to, that it can yep. be fixed, if that makes sense. Like, I think that that's a, a strong possibility, but I mean, even then, like you've had, You've had Mason Chambers get a lot of playing time. Uh, Kamani King has played a lot. Craig McDonald's play, uh, played some last year. Jordan Morgan played some last year. Uh, you know, they've got a, a bunch of dudes on that in that defensive backfield that I feel like, or I think that they feel really comfortable uh, being able to to put out there. And um, and that's where like this team I feel like is so different from some of the ones that they've had in the past, where it like nearly every position there's two lines of, of guys that not only could you throw out there and like, you can just get through it, but there's two lines of guys that you could throw out there and feel like they are capable of making a difference. And uh, that's, you know, I, I think that that's going to be one of the biggest things for this team. That's going to make them different from a lot of past Iowa state teams. I agree. So my third vulnerability should be no, no surprise probably should be number one, but uh, special teams. I don't opine greatly on that, but uh, coverage, you can't allow touchdowns or giant returns. 
uh, and Iowa State, the fact that Iowa State did that uh, was surprising to me, but but that needs to be shored up. I, I promise you that that is a priority of the coaching staff uh, going into this year. I think Kane is going to be missed. I think he was special in that role, and he turned games uh, when the team needed him to. And then just, you know, you can just go back to the Oklahoma State game last year. It was a three-point margin. Two kicks were missed. And one of those was missed at a, after a 75-yard run from Brees. Uh, so we're in a low-margin game. You've got to be able to convert your your expected kicks. Not that that doesn't happen to everybody. That happened to Texas against Iowa State, right? At the end, they missed a field goal uh, that they probably, even though it was a long one, it was one they expected to make. So is the kicker any better? Um, here's one, I think, underappreciated point is – and, and there weren't major problems in the punting game last year. Uh, but if the punter can be solid to really good, that is such a vital importance. That's a part of Iowa State's defense. If you can punt and flip the field and have absorbed some offensive inefficiency and gain yardage through your punting game to allow it to be harder for your defense to be gone through, that's a part of how that defense works. That's that's the trap. If they can they can put you in long, uh, long field or long to go, uh, uh, put you on a long field or a longer field than what would be expected uh, from the field position flip, then that's a huge winning margin for Iowa State. So I don't know that the punting game is expected to be uh, marginally better, but if it was, that would be a huge tick in the favor of Iowa State. If it's not, uh, and the kicking's not any better, and the coverage remains uh, poor, and we don't have Kane returning kicks, um, that's a vulnerability. Yeah, and uh, you know I don't want to throw uh, Connor Sally by the wayside because obviously he's made some really big kicks in his time at uh, at Iowa State. But I, you know, kind of like I said with TJ Tampa, I've heard that uh, Andrew Mevis, the transfer from Fordham, is the real deal. So, you know, if bringing him in can eliminate the issues that they had on kickoff, if he can give them some leeway in, in you know, the length of field goals that they, they're able to attempt, like I think that can go a long way uh, for them as well. Uh, is there anybody that you, you know, maybe even guys going back to high school or anything like that when you watch their film, is there anybody that is a kick returner you think, you know, there's probably not a good, a, another Kane. Uh, he's a, he's a different breed, you know, obviously he's one of the best kick returners in Iowa state history, but is there anybody that you've seen have that uh, kind of explosiveness or that ability to maybe be a dynamic playmaker on in that area of the game that's on the roster right now? Um, no, uh, not that there, there aren't really talented faster people throughout Kane was just special mm -hmm. i think everybody that's why he went in the fourth round of the draft uh was because his speed and burst and his ability to use it with his balance was different than others now who's who's that guy what's the name of the he's a true freshman maybe you know or don't know he's an all-purpose back running back um Deion silas Deion Silas. Or uh, they have two true freshman running backs, Deion Silas and e, uh, Eli Sanders. So uh, Silas okay. is the one. Yeah. But, uh, Silas has, has potential there. Whoever takes that role in, in Iowa State has 
traditional or not traditionally, but over the last over the Campbell era, um, you know, outside of Kene, they don't put a whole lot of stock in the return game. The punt returns are a source of, um, you know, struggle at times. Uh, I'm not sure who that guy will be. Are there are there guys fast enough to do it and do it effectively? Yeah, there are. Um, are they just going to look for the person who secures the ball and can get to a reasonable uh, return spot? More than likely. They just don't want to make it a negative. And um, I think that that's how they, they view the return game um, as, as far instead of it being a weapon. It's hard to weaponize in today's game and the different roles in the way that they've, they've done it. Um, but if it can just be solid, not turn the ball over, and then when you give up a large kick return or even a score off kick return, it's the same as a turnover. It's the same as an interception or a fumble. And so if you added those to the turnover tur totals, which is what I would be inclined to do uh, as a coach, then, then that, that has to improve because that, that's a vulnerability. Again, each of these things, the easy, easy completions on a second corner or a, or a safety blows coverage, inefficiency by the quarterback, special teams coverage, which is equivalent to a turnover uh, on a big play. Each of these things are, are vulnerabilities, but, but they're, they're, what's the words I'm using? I'm looking for. Um, each of those things are small details in a game that Matt Campbell talks about all the time. And, they're about the the they're, they're, and so we've progressed our talk two years ago to now from seeing those margins be very wide and those margins be focused on defensive line, linebacker, quarterback, running back, and wide receiver to now phases of the game that create winning margins in big 12 championship games. And, and that's a, that's a tremendous, tremendously better conversation to have. So yes, you started at the beginning and said, these are, these are nitpicky. Uh, yeah, they are nitpicky, but what I like is this is developing into me making a point and me making a counterpoint. Um, and, and I like the fact that there's a counterpoint to each of these. And the thing, I, uh, you know, I think I already got the strategy now for, for kickoffs. If, if they want to put Dion Silas back there, you're already at, a, at an advantage. He's listed at five foot eight, which, you know, football rosters, basketball rosters, all those kinds of things. They'll, you know, they could, they could, they're known to embellish from time to time, which, you know, maybe he's five, seven or something like that. I don't think the defense be able to see him back there. Uh, if, if Iowa State just puts all their biggest guys on the kickoff team. Because Iowa State is not small. When I was up there this summer, I don't know. You, you, you can tell me it's a different look around the house, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes. They got a whole bunch of big old dudes. Yeah, yeah. there's no we doubt were, about that. We were together and uh, all that, but, you know, like I, I, was, I was standing there talking to – Chase Allen and I was just like, yeah, this dude's dude's progressed a little bit over his super senior year, and uh, that, that's kind of an exciting thing. So my last one actually has to do with positional players, which is the defensive line. So we know what we have in Will McDonald, although I'm not sure we do. I think we might see a little bit more out of what Will McDonald is capable of this season. Um, 
We know what Isaiah Lee can do, which is pretty pretty solid. I've got zero problems with him. Uh, we've seen Zach Peterson for two years play. We have a feeling, though I think there's another phase to his game, another level that he can get to. Uh, but outside of that, are uh, well, and we know any right. Mm-hmm. We know what able when he decides to to turn on the on the motor. Which, by the way, looking at him this summer, uh, I felt like he was uh, trimmer than what I've seen him in the past, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but we've got some guys that have names. Um, you know, a guy like Cordarius Bailey who looks tremendous, but has been hurt for a long period of time. Does he step up and create? We're talking about the hole created by Jaquan Bailey. Yeah. Who last year was really, really good, both against the run and in pressure. So why does the D line matter? Let let me make this really Jay Jordan type point here. (laughs) Uh, The D line matters in this defense and in every defense, but this one in particular, and I'll just go back to the Matt rule Baylor team. So they could get pressure with three. Last year, you saw Iowa State start to get pressure with three, with Bailey and, and McDonald, uh, and even Lee pushing up the middle uh, and Bankston at times. If you can get pressure with three, then you've got max coverage. Now your vulnerabilities in the secondary are covered a little bit because of numbers. But when you bring that fourth linebacker in, now he's an actual, he's not just trying to hold the line, now he's an actual pressure player. One thing that's interesting is, is interceptions don't happen because your coverage is great. Interceptions happen because of your D-line, because your D-line creates pressure and causes reads to be made quicker than what they should be. That's why interceptions happen. Sacks happen because of your secondary. If your secondary can cover two to three seconds solidly, give the quarterback no options, make him go through his read progression, then you get a sack. So we hear about coverage sacks and pressure creating interceptions. That's the way those things, if you want to sack the quarterback, then get a good secondary. If you want to create interceptions to get a good defensive line. If Iowa State can ramp up the pressure uh, or continue pressure from those three, that's why Baylor was so good and won 11 games. They got pressure with three. They ran Iowa State's defense. Iowa State could be in that position. I like Enyi to do that. I like Will McDonald to do that. I like Zach Peterson. Uh, you know, you got Blake Peterson, Willie Singleton, this, the new big kid uh, in the middle. Um, Cordarius, Cordarius Bailey is, is a name that I like that I, I know probably isn't being talked about. Um, Corey Suttle is another one I know they really like. Another guy that they really like there. If you, how that defensive line plays and what type of pressure they can create with the minimum number of people uh, is huge. It's also a vulnerability if we go back to a situation where maybe we have specialist pass rushers or specialist run players and we don't have the balance that – and I keep saying we – Iowa State doesn't have the, the balance that they showed last year. I want that balance to continue. If it doesn't, then I think that's a vulnerability um, for the team. If it does, then that's a that's your counterpoint. Uh, you mentioned you think Zach Peterson's got another uh, another gear in him. What what do you think that looks like? What's it take to unlock that? So so Zach in his first year that he played and understanding he was really young, he was really solid against uh, in downfield pursuit and against the run at the line of scrimmage. He had almost zero burst and ability to get towards the quarterback or create any sort of pressure. I thought last year um, 
he did a little bit better. He was able to create more pressure. And I'm not talking about getting sacks. Getting sacks are awesome. Uh, we want them Well, McDonald can finish and get there in time. But you don't need sacks as much as you need pressure. You need quarterbacks to be uncomfortable. So we don't need a guy to get seven sacks on the other side of Will McDonald. What we need is a guy who can create pressure and threaten that sack so that Will McDonald cleans it up. Um, I thought Zach Peterson progressed in that. I think the next level to his game is to stay as solid as he is against the run and uh, add some explosion off the edge. Um, now, do I know whether or not he has an extra geared? I think it's got a, it's a technique issue with him. I think if he could grab some technique training uh, on how he comes off the edge, that, yeah, he could be a pressure player and be that more complete uh, player that, that I'd like to see out there and not have to be replaced um, regularly in a pass rush situation. So, For sure. Um, where are you at on the offensive line? Damn good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's like, it's one of those things that I, I think I know that they're going to be really good, but I feel like at the same time, every time we talk about Iowa state football, I have to, I have to talk about them just because it's, it, it it's almost hard to believe that they are that good sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's like, a, a, I don't know. Uh, I don't even, I don't even know the best way to put it. It's just, I haven't been hurt so many times by that position. Yeah. And I have a number of articles that don't have an aged well, you know, and the developmental side and in criticism of the offensive line. Um, now I see the plan and it's easy to do now. Uh, but <laughs> so, so one of the things I notice in the trend in recruiting is not only does Matt Campbell like really big dudes, they have a lot of really big dudes. Um, but he's balanced that with guys, with great feet. So, so, in my opinion, and that can be disputed by lots of folks with more experience in football than I, um, in my opinion, blocking is fit, lock, and fit, finish. And you fit from a power position, and then you lock with your hands and your feet. And if you can't move your feet as an offensive lineman, then you're going to struggle because you're going to have to lean. And there's too many good players out there on the defensive line that are just going to pull you forward and knock you off balance. Uh, what you see in guys like Ramos and Remsburg, Remsburg had some of the best feet I thought coming out of high school of, of any, many prospects that I've seen. And I think that's playing out. Um, Simmons has great feet. Uh, Newell does. Downing is, is good. Um, but we've got other names behind them that are not only seasoned and experienced, but have similar physical characteristics that are either enormously huge or they have great feet to go with their size. And that starts to look like a real offensive line. But I think there's eight guys you could mention, mm -hmm. put out there at any time and be comfortable. And you've got that. You've got something. It's actually kind of interesting because I've, I've, I think I've talked to Matt Campbell about this before, and I don't think I've ever really written about it, but uh Matt Campbell loves basketball players, which yes. kind of goes in contrast to what, uh, you know, you always hear, you know, Kirk, people talk about Kirk Ferentz loves wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, when you look at Iowa state's offensive linemen, I mean, there's a whole bunch of dudes here who are in the range of, you know, six foot three, you know, all the way up to six foot nine with, with Tyler Miller. These are a bunch of guys who were like playing center on the basketball team 
you know, I know Trevor Downing was a, was a good basketball player at Creston. Uh, you know, I think Tyler Miller was a good basketball player at green County, but that's the kind of thing that I know he likes going to a basketball game to see these big guys play basketball because it's really easy to see how well those guys can move when they get on the block, you know, and when you get a guy that's got good feet down there, then you, you know, you know, it translates to football. It does. So, so I keep going back to this because it's just my life right now, but uh, I've got an undersized offensive line that I'm coaching this fall. Uh, So that creates a challenge when you're undersized. Um, None of Iowa state guys are undersized, but the emphasis is on basketball skills to fit a block is essentially uh, manning up a def- uh, an offender as a defender and then moving your feet to make that movement versus leaning and reaching. It creates a foul in basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Guy who positionally in the post or even when he's drawn out uh, keeps his butt between himself and the basket, right? He's keeping faced up position. That's the exact thing you're trying to accomplish when you're making a block. You're trying to get your butt in the hole. So the running back can run and that, that defender is, is shielded while maintaining, maintaining contact with him. You don't do that by leaning and just being big. You do that by moving your feet in the exact same way that you play basketball. It is the exact skill. It's also the same skill setting a pick. Right. When I set a pick, I don't get a knockout blow on every one. The point of a pick is to make it hard for the defender. The defender has to take an extra two steps to get around my pick so that there's space to shoot a shot off that pick. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the exact same principle. Those offensive linemen are, are, are setting picks. They want to make it harder. And those defenders have to take an extra step or an extra two steps to get around them, which creates enough space for a talented back like Brees Hall to move through. And, and get to where he's going. But the, the skill set is exactly the same on those two sports. So if you're encouraging a kid who loves football or encouraging a kid who loves basketball and, and has a size element or even a skill position uh, player, playing those two sports is vitally important because they play off of each other. You get open in basketball in the same manner that you get open as a wide receiver. You play defense and basketball in the perimeter in the exact manner that you cover somebody as a defensive back. The skill sets are the same. The body movements are the same. And those two things complement each other. That, that's, a, that's a great pickup. And you can speak to that better than I can. But, um, but, but those two things complement each other. That's what you have on Iowa State's offensive line. Are they the best offensive line in the country? Are they even the best in the conference? Or the best that they'll play against? Probably not but they're not that far behind. They are not overmatched by any of the defensive lines that they will play this season. And that's, that's something. Man, it's, it's just crazy. Cause I think back to the people that like I played, I, I played against, I mean, even the, my roommate at Simpson, he was a, you know, me, we, me and him were the same height, but he probably weighed, you know, darn near a hundred pounds more than me in it his athleticism was not made him good. It was the fact that his feet were some of the quickest I'd ever seen in my life for someone that big, you know? And it's like, and I always told him, I was like, man, you, you picked the wrong sport, bro. Like if you had, you should have been playing football, my guy, because of how big he'd had a bunch of injuries and stuff. So there's a reason they didn't, but uh, it's like, if, if those kinds of guys, if they, you know, can commit to that kind of stuff and being that kind of a player, like, you know, they can be really, really good. But uh, those dudes who are that big and have quick feet are a rare breed. 
I mean, you, you just don't see him very often, but when you see him, it's like, that guy's a unicorn right there and how big he is and how well he's able to use his feet and use his body to, cre uh, to create leverage and uh, get off shots to, you know, make up for the fact that maybe they're not the fastest or most explosive jumping and things like that. Right. But like in basketball, if you get to where you're leaning as a defender, you're beat, right? Mm -hmm. You're either going to foul him or just let the guy go to, go to the rim. Same thing on the offensive line. And, and so, you know, like this fall, my guys, uh, after practice, will be jumping rope and you're going to train, train up some offensive linemen, either as, as your, your kid or, or as a coach, then, then those, those speed drills, we see videos on Twitter of wide receivers doing to try to impress us. Those are just as important, if not more important for the offensive line to be doing, uh, to work on their feet and make sure they're able to, to move the feet around. Iowa state's got guys who can do that. And that's, that's, uh, I, I, I don't believe that's a vulnerability at all, <laughs> man. My grandpa always tried to get me to go out and do ballet. That's what he said that I needed to do to work on my feet. And I was like, there's no way in hell my big ass is going to go do ballet. But, uh, that, that was always, uh, his thing. So we need to get Iowa state's guys doing some ballet. Jay, what do you think of that? I actually, uh, am a staunch supporter of the infusion of dance and Pilates type principles into training for athletes. I have a trainer down here, uh, that I've been friends with for years and, uh, her background was dance and, um, um, and Pilates and she had a studio, but she worked with a number of, uh, of professional athletes, football players in particular, uh, on enhancing their performance. Uh, her greatest successes were with offensive linemen, but her program was, was key dance moves and basketball players in particular, one that she worked with, she kept a, the, whatever they call, I don't, I'm not sophisticated enough to know what the bar is. Maybe they just call it the bar, uh, you know, on the mirror, like mm -hmm. you see people working on their plies and their turns. If you think about the muscles engaged to make a, a full turn on one foot, like you do in ballet and the core strength required to do that, uh, it's, it's stunning because most high-level athletes can't do that. You or I certainly couldn't because we're both high-level athletes, right? Um, right. <laughs> uh, but, but most can't. Where they start and where they end up uh, was incredibly effective in, in her practice, um, and I've, I've seen it. And there's, there's a thought, at least that I have, and I know that others do, that some of the cross-training skills from disciplines like like dance, um, like gymnastics, uh, things like that, where you're looking at whole body strength, uh, strength in your connector muscles, that those things create advantages, uh, that bulk doesn't create. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to see that stuff incorporated, but that's pretty cutting, cutting edge and radical for, so thanks for exposing me, Jerry. Man, I'll, uh, no, I'll, uh, I'll just have to suggest to Matt Campbell that they make sure that they've got a, a, you know, a ballet room or dance room in the, in that new sports performance center. I'm sure that he would be, uh, really intrigued I'm, by that idea. I'm, I'm sure Matt listens to our pods. <laughs> get the boy. We need to get the boys doing some Zumba or something <laughs> like that. Shoot, yeah. And there, there's value in it. Um, and anytime you get across disciplines like that, there's value. And we're not talking the kind of dancing that you're doing on the uh, on the dance floor at AJ's on a Friday night. This isn't anything like that. This, this is real dance. Uh, Wouldn't it be funny if that's what they did and they, uh, they changed, they took it over out into the bars and they changed the dance scene? <laughs> <laughs> They're out there dancing like uh, 
uh, having like dance battles on the dance floor and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. All right. Last thing. What, uh, what are your thoughts on the rest of the teams in the conference? Is there anybody that, uh, you're maybe higher on than most people or anybody you're maybe lower on than most people? Uh, no. Um, I'm, I like everybody. I'm curious about Iowa, um, on our schedule. No, they're not in the conference, but that's a huge game. It's a puzzle that Matt, uh, hasn't solved yet. And, um, uh, I'd like to see that get solved as anyone else would, but I, so I think this season is a test of the strength and conditioning program. It's obviously, uh, I think last season we saw results in the second year with, uh, it's Dave Andrews, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With Dave Andrews, um, the players there are bought in a hundred percent to his program and to what he's, he's doing for them. But Iowa state has traditionally lacked in that area. And I don't think they lack anymore. I think this is a test of that because if you look at Iowa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Texas, what has been the deficit or the margin between Iowa state and those teams for Texas, it's power for Oklahoma state. It's speed for Oklahoma. It's speed and power. For Iowa, it's power. So Iowa State's ability to match those programs in those areas is the key to getting over the hump and remaining uh, and cementing themselves as a top 10 team. So who do I think is that? I think it's pretty set. Texas is going to be interesting because it's a new coach. People are expecting a spring forward because they, they perceive that Herman was so bad. Um, and Sarkeesian is so good. Could that occur? Yes, but they've got a two-headed quarterback right now, and they're not sure which one, one is which. Oklahoma State is interesting. Um, they play so aggressively. That's what causes Iowa State's problems with Oklahoma State is they play defensively, and Mike Gundy has giant balls and will call anything anytime. Uh, that, that's, that's a problem. Um, I'm really curious about them, and then I'm curious about TCU. I don't know what's going on there, but they have enough talent to be right there in the discussion at the top three in the conference. Um, I don't know if it's just Duggan's erratic play. Uh, if he settles down, then that's a really, really dangerous team for, for everybody in the conference. It's because Gary Patterson started focusing too much on his country music. That's is is that not possible? I mean, they, no, they... I, I, I'm, you know, part of that's tongue in cheek, but I do think there's an element of like, is Gary Patterson not necessarily mailing it in, but is he reaching that point where it's just, uh, you know, he can see the twilight coming, you know? I, I, I wonder that. And I think this is a test. This is a big season. This is a prove it season for them with the third year, um, quarterback and and some serious talent in the backfield and that receiver i think uh i really think that they're they could be a real supply surprise kansas state with skylar thompson healthy all year is just a problem they're annoying because you don't think they should be as good as they are but Kleiman knows what he's doing and oklahoma's going to be oklahoma uh, texas i don't know what i like is that tell me is the iowa game at home yeah Iowa, Oklahoma State, Texas, 
are all at home. Mm -hmm. The only one that's in TCU is at home too. The only one that's not of those like big games that's not at home is our Kansas state and Oklahoma. Right. So I like that. So that, that's a, that's a fan burden to make those places hostile. West Virginia is interesting to me, but I just don't think they're quite there yet to get to that top tier. I think they can handle most everybody below the top three to four in the conference, but um, I, don't, I don't think they're just, just quite there. Um, but I'd look out that TCU TCU game. And then Iowa state at home against Iowa, Oklahoma state and Texas. That's, that's where this season is made right there. Don't, we always see them come out and play conservative in that first game. Don't give you and I the luxury. Man, I got a feeling I don't think that'll be an issue this year. Uh, I, I've got that. Honestly. I've got that same feeling, but you never know. We've had it before, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, – I don't think there's much love lost there anymore. <laughs> I would agree. Uh, not to get too deep into that, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't think there's much love lost there. I think if Iowa State has an opportunity to put it on them, they will uh, not hesitate to do so. And, and I think too, for those FCS teams, it'll be interesting to see what the fact that they will have played a full season six months previous uh, will be an interesting dynamic as well, but that's a whole other deal. All right, buddy. Uh, do you have anything else you want to throw out there? or You, you think we covered it all? I think we covered everything that everybody can take and swallow. Uh, I, I just, I'm not as good at bringing up random topics as, as Jeff. So uh, it's okay. A few people are his, his mind is different. He's like uh he's like the beautiful mind. Yeah. He is the beautiful mind. All right. Take the ugly mind, but we'll, uh, you know, again, we don't want to pile too much on our friend. So, uh, all right, man, I appreciate you taking some time and we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. All right. Sounds great. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you again here soon. Peace.